Good morning as we come to worship God as we meet with him, whether we're here in the building and a welcome if you're joining us online. It's a warm day and we pray that we'll be able to concentrate despite the heat. But as a help us to worship, I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 24. And it's asking a question. Who shall stand in his holy place? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Now that sends us into our first hymn, our first song, over a thousand tongues to sing. And there are many things we want to praise God for, isn't there? And certainly if we know him as our saviour. We want to praise him. And as we're singing, in our reading today, we'll read about someone who comes back to life. And we have a reference here in verse 4. Let's stand and sing. series in Elisha. We're going to be reading from 2 Kings and chapter 13 and verses 10 through to 25. Now this this reading is split into two sections. Okay, the first section is a bit of a summary of the king who was reigning at the time and then the second section is an event that occurred during his life which involved Elisha. Now, when you're reading these summaries of the kings, unfortunately the names can be very similar or sound the same or they may have the same name as someone else. And if I was to say, well, John's going to come and do the children's talk and then John's going to 
come and pray, and then John will be coming to read. You know, there'll be several of you with the name John, and several of you will be going, right, is that John Cowley, John Hitchcock, or John Fuller? But actually, when we read these, you'll find that the kings are linked to the place that they were the king of. So you'll see that you have Joash, king of Judah, and then you've got Joash, okay, who's reigning over Israel. Now, it also doesn't help that Joash and Joash are the same names, okay? So like Jim and James, okay, they're the same name for the same person. But So we've got Joash and Jehoash, and they swap in this reading. So we have to think as we're reading it through. Let's read it through. Verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, and he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and the might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash slept with his fathers and Jeroboam II sat on his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows, and then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it, and then Elisha said, Shoot! And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times and then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, A marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them, and had compassion on them. And he turned toward them, because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them nor has he cast them from his presence until now. When Haziel, king of Syria, died, Ben-Hadad, his son, became king in his place. Then Joash, the son of Jehoaz, took again from Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities that he had taken from Jehoaz, his father, in war. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. And we look forward to John as he comes and brings God's word to us a little bit later on. Um, There's going to be a children's talk after the next song, um, and Mark will be doing that. So children, after we've sung our song, please come up. And secondly, just a notice for church members that there's a quarterly church meeting after the service on Thursday. So not Tuesdays as normal, but after the service this coming uh, Thursday. Right, we've got our second song. Our second hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And this is the choice of Andrew and Jan Jacks, who this past week have celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And this is what they wanted to sing. So, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow or turning with thee.
Good morning, good morning. All right, I think that's everyone, isn't it? It is good to see you this morning. Now, it's not long now, is it, to the summer holidays. Are any of you going on holiday? Anyone going? Yeah, do you know where you're going? Wales, very nice, very nice. Anyone else going on holiday? Do you know where you're going? Also going to Wales, very good, yeah. Wales with YPs. And that's what I'm going to talk about, because next week, the YPs, we're going away to Wales as well, popular place. Maybe you're going on holiday, maybe you're not, maybe you're staying and having fun at home. But that picture there is a, a place of the sort of place we're going to in Wales, in the Brecon Beacon. So YPs, you'll see a few photos of the area. There you go, it looks nice, doesn't it? There you go, very nice. Some other photos. So those are some photos, admittedly on quite lovely days. Some lovely photos of the place we're going to. Hopefully it won't be too rainy. So we're going to Wales with the YPs next Saturday. And here you go. This is where we are this morning. Can you see where that arrow is pointing? That's where we are this morning in church. And we're going to follow that blue line all the way to, oh, there. And that, God willing, is where we're going for our holiday with the YPs next Saturday. And we're really looking forward to it. And uh, there's some a picture of the front. Not the most glamorous building, but hopefully it'll be lovely for us. And there you go. There's the dining room. YPs getting a bit of a glimpse of their life in a week's time. And there you go. There's one of the bedrooms. And the lovely man, Tim, there in the corner. Can you see him? And, uh, well, how much does YPs cost? Well, it does cost a bit of money, sadly, because we have to pay for things. So it costs £195. And the dates are next Saturday, and we're going for a week, and we're coming back the next Saturday. Now, Tim, can I, is it definitely there, this place? I think so. It is. <laughs> okay, I was looking for a bit more confidence, but that's fine. <laughs> That's kind of the point. He's been there. We've got him on camera. We know he's there. So we know with confidence that this place is there. He's been there. He's checked it out. And when the YPs uh, hear that we're going there, hopefully they trust us. And hopefully this has given them even more confidence, just in case they were doubting, that this is a place that we're taking them to. Now, if we're going on holiday, what do we need? What do you need if you're going on holiday? Yeah. A suitcase with a few bits in. Yeah, now this isn't everything, but I've got a few bits. What sort of things do we need if we go on holiday? Because it'd be a bit silly, wouldn't it? Let's imagine if uh, if the YPs, sort of on Saturday morning, imagine that they got down here and they didn't have anything with them, and they're like, oh yeah, we're just going on holiday for a week, but they came sort of empty-handed, you'd be a bit like, what are you doing? So yeah, what sort of things? Absolutely. And wash stuff. You need wash stuff, don't you? Definitely. Especially for its week and especially some of them. Definitely. Yeah. Well, a phone. Yeah. Might need a phone so we can contact people. Maybe take photos. Yeah. Clothes. Yeah. So got things like this. A bit of a, a raincoat. Um, what about stuff like this? Yeah. Swim stuff. Yeah. Definitely need some of that. Uh, yeah. We said clothes, didn't we? I'm hoping we won't need too much of this. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too cold. Um, things like this. What are these? Sunglasses. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be needing them quite a bit. So, because we're going, we need to start getting ready, don't we? So we've sent out a list to all the YPs, and hopefully they're starting to get ready because they know we're going. And how are we get in there? Well, we're driving. And we're going from here. So it'd be a bit silly, wouldn't it, if they were lying in bed next Saturday morning and they just kind of expected to get there. Well, that wouldn't happen, would it? They need to come down here and they need to get in the vehicles with their stuff and then go. And that's when they're going to be ready. Now, I want to tell you about a place that I'm really looking forward to going to. And I want all the YPs to be there with me. This is a place even better than YP Holiday. Okay, I know that's hard to believe. Even better than that place, okay? And uh, this place is a mansion. I'm really looking forward to going there. Yeah, and I, I want everyone to come with me. Uh, so it's a mansion. How good does that sound? Uh, it's free. Now, why be holiday costs quite a bit of money. This is free. 
Uh, what's it like? Well, it's brand new, this mansion. It's not like an old one, like you look at and it looks a bit, oh, wouldn't want to go in there. It's this brand new mansion. Everything's perfect. In fact, it gets better than that because no one's ever sat there. It's a good place, right? Where are we thinking? Yeah, go on, I heard a whisper. Yeah, we're going to God's house. God's house. Now, sometimes you might like going to your friends' houses, Martin. You maybe they've got, um, maybe they've got some swings, or they've got a massive paddling pool, or a trampoline, or maybe other stuff. And you think, I can't wait to go there. We get the chance to go to God's house. And this is what Jesus says. So, just like Tim had been there, and we know he's been there, and he's come back, and he's like, Yeah, it's all there. It's all good. Jesus knows what heaven is like. Can someone read this for me? There's quite a bit there, so maybe if someone's a confident reader. Yeah, is that right? Thank you. There are many rooms in my father's house. I will not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Then I will take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Yeah. So Jesus says, look, I'm getting it ready for you. And I'm going to come back for you, and I'm going to take you there. That's what he says. But the question is, well, when? We know with YPs, we know it's next Saturday. We've got to be down here fairly early in the morning. What are the dates for this? Well, we're not sure. But we do know it's definitely going to happen. It's what Jesus tells us. It's definitely going to happen. I'm going to come again. It's definitely going to happen. We just don't quite know when. Here's what we need to do. Just like we get ready for YPs, because it'd be silly turning up, or not even turning up and not being ready, we need to get ready for Jesus coming again. If we're going to go to God's house, we need to get ready. And Jesus says, I am the way. So just like vehicles, cars, minibuses are the way we're getting to Wales, Jesus is the way we get to God's house. Through believing in him, trusting Jesus, asking him to forgive us. That's how we get ready to go to God's house and the greatest place ever, a place even better than your holiday home. So, I'm looking forward to it and I'd love to see you all there one day. Thank you for listening. Prayer, shall we bow our heads and our, our hearts? Father God, as we, as we come to you in prayer, we ask that you would help us. We thank you that as we come to you in prayer that you are the perfect Father. You are the kind Father. You are the loving Father. And those of us that are fathers know how much we fail. But you do not fail. And we can see that in your creation, in the beauty, and in the perfect nature that was there before we sinned. But we are so thankful that As Mark has been telling us, there is that way. Jesus is the way. Your son is the way. Where we can have peace with you. Where we can um, have that love in our hearts that you can give us. Because he died on the cross. And we thank you that he was willing to pay the punishment for us. And we pray that each of us would come to know Jesus as our saviour. That each of us would be looking forward to being in heaven with you. We know Jesus came and lived on this earth and the Lord had a rough time. But we now know he's in heaven, preparing that place for us. If we follow him, if we believe in him, if we accept his offer of forgiveness and ask him to forgive us for our sins, that we can be with him where there is no sadness, Lord, where everything is perfect. And we look around about us and we realise that our lives here are not perfect. We realise that we have corrupted this world so much with our sinful actions. Lord, we look forward to that day where we can be with you and know you as our saviour. And if there are any here who do not know Jesus as that saviour, if there are any here who, when they think of heaven, it's not about being with Jesus. It's not about being in that sinless environment. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, would teach them about Jesus. We pray that you'd be merciful 
and gracious to them. We're so thankful that, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And when we look in your word and we can read about what you've done through time, we know that you will carry on doing that. We know that you're not going to change your mind. And Lord, and we are so grateful for that, that you are trustworthy, that you are patient and that you are kind. And when we compare that to um, what we see in leadership round about us, Lord, how different that is. Lord, yes, there are kind people. Yes, there are moral people. But Lord, each of us and each, each leader is tainted with their sinful nature. We especially think of the leadership in the Conservative government at the moment. We think as this will be our next Prime Minister, we pray that you would have an influence on them for good. Lord, we hear about what they want to do. Lord, we hear about the way that they would like to lead the country. Lord, we know that they are unhuman like we are. But we pray, Lord, you'd have an impact on them and they would look to you for wisdom. They would look to you for guidance. They would see how small they are in comparisons to you. And Lord, as Mark has been talking about the Wipey holiday, Lord, we want to bring the Wipey holiday to you in prayer. We think of many, many answered prayers for Wipey holidays over many years. And we pray for them. We pray for safety. We pray that they would have fun. Lord, we pray that you would be kind to them with the weather. But Lord, what we pray for most of all is, Lord, as they meet and study around your word, that you would speak to them. Lord, we ask that their lives, each life on that holiday, would be changed by what they see and what they study and what they learn from your word through that week. And what we pray for the Wipey holiday, we pray for Sunday school and for Rooted. We ask that these lives would be changed by what they read. The Sunday school, as they take their books home, we ask they would read them and not just go onto a shelf. And we pray that that would give them a desire, an appetite, to find out more about you. And Lord God, as it is a time of holidays, we thank you. You give us that opportunity to go and find refreshment and have a rest and have a break. But we pray that it would be a time not only of physical refreshment, of physical rest, but of spiritual refreshment too. We pray that each of us would take that opportunity to spend time with you as we are away from the routine of everyday life. Father God, we also thank you um, for your faithfulness over 50 years for Andrew and Jan Jacks. We thank you that they were able to celebrate 50 years. When we think of the way marriages fall apart around us, Lord, we're so thankful that you have been with them for 50 years and they have been able to see your hand in their life over this time. And Lord, each of us can look back. Um, We might not have been married for 50 years, we might still be young, but every morning when we get up, we can see your goodness to us on another morning. Father God, we commend to you James and Rachel in Cyprus. And Lord, we thank you for bringing them safely back from Zambia. We ask that in Cyprus, they would see the fruit of their labours as you are working amongst them. Working amongst the African students, working amongst the Turkish Cypriots. We ask that they would see people coming to call on your name and to call you their saviour. Father God, as we turn back to worship, as we turn back to your word, we pray that you would help John as he brings your word to us. And we pray that we would have attentive ears, have attentive hearts, and we pray that your word would impact us so that we are walking closer with you as we leave the service. We ask for your honour and glory. Amen. We're going to turn to our next song, which is How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure. And as we sing, again we have a a pointer about dying breath bringing life in our second verse. Let's stand and sing as John starts.
Uh, Now the sermon uh, this morning is a 10 out of 10 sermon. I wish that referred to its quality, uh, but it doesn't. It refers to the fact that we've been going through a series on Elisha, and this is the last one, and it's number 10 in the series. Uh, Some of you have been here for a good few of them. Uh, Others perhaps have not made them. Uh, Just to tease out uh, some of the the memories for those who have been around, here are the titles of the sermons that Mark and I have preached as we've gone through the life and ministry of Elisha in the last uh, ten weeks or so. Three Kings in Crisis. Wear debt your sting. Life on a roller coaster. Grace to the enemy. God's sparkling kindness. A God of his word. The God who restores. Judgment looms. Justice at last. And then our last one, our tenth one, is called Elisha leaves the stage. Elisha leaves the stage. Now we're not following all the way through, all the parts of one and two Kings, uh, we're just tracking Elisha's involvement. Uh, in some ways that's unideal. Uh, they are written as books, but uh, we're trying to be mindful of the flow of the books and to the teaching of the books as we go, rather than just hopping on and hopping off too much. But this morning, um, for our last message, we join in 2 Kings 13. We left Jehu. Last time, having become king and being used by God to bring justice on King Ahab and his family. Jehu was promised to have four kings on the throne. And we have two of them in our chapter here. Chapter 13, you've been given some introduction to what happens here. Jehoahaz and Jehoash or Joash for short. And they reigned for over 30 years between them. And Elisha comes to his end in the second of these two kings. So Elisha's ministry is um, is a long ministry. It's over 50 years. It's probably around 60 years that Elisha was ministering. But even long lives and ministries come to an end. Verse 14 is a good reminder. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die. Long lives, long ministries come to an end. We have tablets here recording some of those who have been key figures if you like in the life of the church, previous Pastors, some of them are long ministries, our previous pastor here for 24 years. And then, I think probably, I imagine it's unique in the country, but uh, I don't know that. We have two uh, pastors in our history who were pastors here for over 50 years each. Certainly won't carry on with the current pastorate. Tremendous length of time. Those ministries, though, came to an end. Useful men. Godly men, men who love the word, but whose lives come to an end. Elisha's life coming to an end. It reminds me of when I was at uh, uh, university and the Christian Union brought round at one stage uh, posters of Bible verses to go in all the common rooms uh, throughout all the halls of residences. And one of them was, was this, Ecclesiastes, a different version from ours, but it reads, Death is the end of every man, and the living ought to take this to heart. Death is the end of every man, and the living ought to take this to heart. Our lives pass and fade. I was reminded of this this week. It might not mean so much to you, but it meant a little bit to me. When I first went to watch Brighton matches as a lad in the 70s, and my dad took me, there was a left winger called Peter O'Sullivan. He was number 11. He had over 400 appearances for Brighton, and he did the Ronaldo step over before Ronaldo was even born. 
This week I'd heard that he collapsed in, in Shoreham, where he lives. Uh, he had appeared in hospital. And then on YouTube, there is a sort of thank you uh, note from him or thank you video of, uh, from him over the support he had. And there, stuttering because his brain is affected by what he's gone through, he reads out um, a, a statement in his illness. And there we have a, a dashing left winger brought to such weakness. I hope he recovers. Death will come to him as it does to all of us. Ecclesiastes, death is the end of every man. The living, us, ought to take this to heart. Elisha comes to the end of his life. So Elisha is going to leave the stage of life, if you like, but he's not done yet. And we are not done yet with the lessons that we are learning from Elisha. We have two final episodes in our passage this morning, 14 to 21. They're strange episodes. We're getting quite used to strange episodes, aren't we, as we go through the life of Elisha. One is about arrows and one is about bones. They're strange, but they are full of teaching from the living God through his living word. So I've got a a main thrust from each for us to take away. This is the thrust of the first one, the lesson from the first one, his wholehearted following. Wholehearted following. Half-hearted obedience was, um, if you like, a plague amongst the kings. And it's a common problem today. People are sort of following Jesus. People are saying, we're Christians, but we're not, they're not really firing on all cylinders. Are believers who, well, barely really believe, it seems. Followers who are dragging behind in their following. Perhaps that describes your situation, has some relevance to your situation. I think this first episode is going to speak into that this morning. So Elisha is ill. And the king is in tears. It could be that he has a deep love and concern for Elisha, but it's probably because the national defences are at a low. And uh, Elisha has acted, if you like, like an extra form of defence and protection for the nation in God's kindness over so many years. And he sensed that force field, if you like, is going to be disappearing. One of the subjects for the leadership race in the Conservative Party is defence spending. Some say that the UK has spent far too little on defence. Well, it certainly felt like that in Israel. They were worried about the, the military weakness. His predecessor in verse 7 says this, or it says of him, for there was not left to Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz chariots, an army of more than 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So the military might felt threadbare, really, in Israel. And it doesn't seem as though it got any better when the next king comes, Joash. And he comes to the failing Elisha and he says this in the second half of verse 14. He weeps before him saying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He seems to be concerned at just the the lack of military might that the nation has. Possibly he's referring to the name of Elisha. He's seeing Elisha as its chariots and horsemen because it doesn't seem to have any others. The fleet has almost disappeared. Elisha has a a set of instructions for the king. And the king follows them. He has some regard for Elisha. And you can see that he copies what Elisha says. It's almost like an echo. You see it in verses 15 uh, to 17. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. 
and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastwards. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot! And he shot. There is some obedience. But it's almost a little bit like the king has got no initiative, isn't it, in some ways? He's prompting for each obvious step of what he's going to do. But he does copy Elisha so far. And he does shoot out of the window to the east in the direction of Syria. And this seems to be some sort of prophetic visual aid, really, of what God in his kindness is going to do against the Syrian army, which was enemy number one for Israel at the time. Because it carries on in verse 17... And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. So this was good news, wasn't it? This was good news for the king. So far, so good. But then Elisha takes it further. The king is to take some arrows and strike the ground. Now, that may be bashing them against the ground. This is why I always understood it, you know, just grab the and, and bash them on the ground next to you. And that, and that may be what it means, but it, it, it could well mean shoot them out of the window. Take the arrow, um, fire it out the window, as you have done with the other one, perhaps still eastwards, strike the ground. You know, don't go too far. Watch where you're firing, obviously. Nobody's making a walk. But fire it down. Strike it down. Almost confirmation of what you have just been doing with the first arrow that I asked you to do. Well, Joash the king does it, but in a disappointing way. Verse 18. He said, take the arrows, and he took them, said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them, and he struck three times and stopped. So if it was that way of doing it, picked out three arrows, and well, that was enough. He stopped. Stopped after three, or if it was, stopped after three. Elisha may be unwell, but he can... He can manage a strong reaction still. And he, he erupts to the situation in verse 19. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. And sure enough, Joash's attempts to get rid of Syria were limited. And the word is fulfilled at the end of the chapter, verse 25. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Now, you might find this incident a little bit strange and you may have a few questions in your mind as, you know, how is this all working out? What's happening here? I think it's fair to assume that Joash wasn't being duped or tricked by um, Elisha. The whole conversation, the, the tenor of what happens, means that, uh, that the king should have struck more. His, his three strikes, if you like, were a reflection of his lack of enthusiasm, his lack of passion, his lack of faith, his lack of obedience. If he was on fire for the Lord, on fire for God's people, he would have he would have kept firing, take that, take that, take that, bash, bash, bash. If it was a man of passion, that's the way it would have gone. You've seen some tennis over the last few weeks probably. And when when they win, well, usually the arms are up. There's a big shout release of the, the tension. They, they punch the air, they, they, they get the racket and... The balls go up high. They're just so pleased and relieved. Their, their passion is there and follows through. If a, a person takes a, a tense penalty and they score, the ball comes back out. The goal is there, but they boot it in a few more times just to sort of take their passion out. This, this is what's got to happen. This is what I want to happen. This is what I'm so motivated for. And Jai should not like that. 
Sometimes people don't have a heart or initiative. They just do the bare minimum. There's no passion. I remember a colleague at at work, um, she helped administration in our personnel office at at County Hall when I was in um, Kent and... uh, um, she wasn't most motivated of workers. She was pleasant, but she wasn't most motivated of workers. And and uh, she started quite early, fair enough. But she she finished at four with the flexi time, which was fine. You were able to finish at four o'clock at the flexi time. But but she every day by three fifty eight, she was sat at her desk, desk totally cleared, looking at her watch, waiting for it to get to four o'clock. There was no passion. You know, there would have been work to done. She wasn't working up to the time. Maybe a little bit after. Motivated by the job. No, every day. 3.58. Waiting at the desk for four o'clock to strike. It's a bit like Joash. Bare minimum. No heart. No vision. No passion. No faith. No full obedience. Three fires, and that's enough. He's not enthusiastic for Israel's defence. He's not believing in the power of God. He's not fully obeying Elisha. It's a lingering lesson for Israel here. Israel should leave the time of Elisha, should carry on fully charged to follow God because of the ministry of Elisha. We should leave uh, the message of Elisha, the times we've been looking at, fully charged to serve the Lord. I love the example of Caleb in the Bible. He was one of the spies back in Numbers 14, but he was different from the unbelieving, uh, fearful, doubtful, retreating spies and he wanted to go forward trusting in God and God's word and it says in Numbers 14 verse 24 but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring into the land which, which he went his descendants shall possess it following fully, believing fully Wholehearted, passionate. Tonight, uh, one of the verses that will be read will be that no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, God and money. There needs to be a single-mindedness, a fullness. In Haggai's time, and they were rebuilding the temple and the people saying, there's not time to get on with rebuilding. There was indifference, there was a lack of energy and concern. And the teaching of what Elisha does here encourages wholehearted following. And it makes us ask some questions. How enthusiastic are we for the message of God's word? To hear it. To follow it through. How keen are we for the kingdom of God to go forward? How ambitious are we for the the enemies that we find at work in our own lives, the enemies of God, the wrong things to be kicked out? How much faith do we have in God's word to believe it and be convinced of it? We can apply it to our prayer life. How much are we wanting God to be at work and to bless and to hear the things that we're asking? How much are we asking for them? These challenging questions, aren't they, which flow out of this lesson. Are we limp Christians? Are we just bare minimum Christians? Are we three-arrow Christians? Are we 3.58 in the afternoon Christians? Well, I think that's a a call, if you like, from the life of Elisha as he leaves the stage. Wholehearted following. But there is a second part to his legacy as we go on to the next couple of verses. Life by his death. 
If the Arrow incident seemed pretty strange, I think this is even stranger. But it's also deeply encouraging and it points forward to to somebody else later in the Bible. So Elisha has now been, um, has died and has been buried, probably in some form of open tomb as they had things in those days. That was the custom. It's springtime. And uh, whilst for you and for I, springtime is a nice time because the flowers are out and it's getting warmer and the the daylight is longer, um, springtime for them at that stage meant squads of Moabite invaders coming up from the southeast. And it just so happens that one of them, one of the raids, ties in with a funeral. And those involved had to to abort their plans and to make a, a quick getaway. Elisha's tomb was nearby, so they, they throw the deceased into the tomb and they run off because of the Moabites coming for them. Well, in this miracle, the contact of that man with Elisha's bones had a miraculous effect. And he's found upright... Are wonderfully restored. Presumably he joins his friends fleeing his own funeral. There's a wait for me behind them. Verse 20, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year and as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha and as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha he revived and stood on his feet. An amazing account, a unique account. But it's an account which encourages us and it encourages us in a couple of ways. It points to God's ongoing work. God's influence doesn't finish with the end of Elisha's life. Elisha's exit doesn't stop God's work. And we may mourn the passing of those who have been greatly used by God, but God's work lives on. God's work through them lives on. The workman may be killed, but the work carries on. We have our tablets here, and they mark tremendous lengths of years. But the work of God in this place and from this place, by God's grace, continues. God's ongoing work carries on. won't be a case of only looking back to the period of Elijah and Elisha, the heyday, thinking that's when, when God was at work, God's power continues. God is committed in an ongoing way to his people. Verse 23 uh, reminds us of that, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. In fact, I think this would have been especially encouraging uh, for those in exile later on, because the word in verse 21 for throne, uh, used of, of 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 the man who goes into Elisha's tomb, thrown, is the same word cast, used of being cast into exile later on, a couple of chapters. The God of resurrection, the God who is able to bring back to life. And I think it's something that, that we can pray in the light of, we might sometimes get uh, concerned or discouraged feeling that God's work is at a low ebb. But incidents like this in the Bible and other incidents like the Valley of Dry Bones coming to life remind us of God's power, which we should seek 
God's ongoing work is an aspect of what we get out of this. But then secondly, it points us to Jesus. These couple of verses, this unusual incident at the end, after really Elisha's life, points us to Jesus. Elisha has often pointed to Jesus. The real Elisha, if you, if you like, the, the ultimate saviour, the, 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 the great anointed one. And Jesus died too. And yet his death, rather than the end of things, was the powerful catalyst for things, was the great demonstration of God's power, would be the vehicle of God's power to influence and affect many. Jesus needed to die. John 12 and verse 23 puts it like this. Jesus puts it like this. This is at a point where Jesus is telling them that he is going to go to the cross where his father will be glorified. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So by his death, Jesus would produce much fruit. His death would be effective. It would be life-giving. I know, if you ever stopped at this, if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew and the account of the death of Jesus uh, and the things that happen when Jesus dies, verse 51, Matthew 27, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The death of Jesus, in a very literal way there, was life-giving. It brought life to people. And the death of Jesus does bring life. It brings life again. His dying breath has brought me life, we sang in that third song. Because the death of Jesus accomplishes forgiveness, he dies instead of others, it opens up the way to God. Because it restores relationship with God as he dies, symbolised by the curtain parting. Because Jesus dying on the cross leads to the Spirit being given and the Spirit brings those who are spiritually dead to spiritual life so that life is new for them. Because the death of Jesus deals with sin, it gives eternal life. It makes the way through to the holiday home, the great home, the great destiny that Jesus has ahead of his people. It is all... It it all happens because of the death of Jesus. His death brings life. Have you experienced the power of the death of Jesus giving you new life? I imagine that the the man in the story puffing and panting with his friends saying to them, how come I'm here? And they would say, because... Because Elisha died and because you made connection with Elisha, now you have had new life through an amazing miracle of God. New life the dead receive. And he was alive. And that's true in a a spiritual way. I am here with spiritual life because of the death of Jesus. I am here heading for eternal life because of the death of Jesus. Believer, you are there with spiritual life because of the death of Jesus. Believer, you are there heading for eternal life because of the death of Jesus. Maybe you're unsure if you have spiritual life. 
Maybe you're unsure if you're heading for eternal life. Well, it is through the one who died and rose again by connecting with him through faith that you will receive spiritual life and you will receive eternal life. So, in in many ways, this seems a very suitable end, doesn't it, to our series on Elisha. Pointing to Jesus, as Elisha has done. We've seen lots on our tour through Elisha of miracles, of power, of justice, of grace, of compassion, of kindness. Elisha, God saves. It especially points us to the Saviour, and this morning especially points us to the life that comes to people today through the one who died on the cross for the sins of others. Well, our closing song, I think, picks up both themes that we have had. It's the experience of somebody who has new life from God, whose life has been turned round, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his response by the time we get to the end is to want to live his life to God as a result. So we have both that wholeheartedness and also we have a new life that God can give through his son. So shall we sing together, I once was lost in darkest night. through these chapters in the life of Elisha which have taught us so many things about you and your character. We thank you for this morning as well and the way it challenges us after we leave this series. Lord, help us to be wholehearted in our following, wholehearted in our faith, passionate for you, for holiness and for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you as well for the reminder of Jesus that we have had 
And we thank you for the way in which through his death, he gives life. We thank you for spiritual life and eternal life that comes through the Saviour who died for sinners. And these things we pray in his name. Amen.